Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. And this week on the panel we have Alan Weimar. Hello. You know, I just wanted to take a sip and I interrupted him. <laughs> we have also Adi Eingar. Hello. And me, I'm Sasha Wolf. We have a pretty much full panel today, so that's pretty nice. And we have a special guest this week, and that is Robert Allen. Hey, Robert. Hello. Why don't you tell the audience why you're here and why we invited you and why you have an interesting story to tell? Sure. Hi, I'm Robert. I'm a senior consultant working for a company in Australia called Alembic. We're a boutique consultancy working in Elixir, GraphQL, TypeScript, React. And I, uh, back in February, I did a talk about Elixir macros. And yeah, that was um, went down reasonably well. And yeah, I've been invited on to talk about um, metaprogramming in Elixir and you know, some of the some of the pitfalls and uh, why you might want to use it and why, why you might want to avoid it. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Yeah, metaprogramming is something like we, we've, we've touched it on the on the podcast, but we have not really ever had an episode like full-blown. Let's go into the nitty-gritty part uh, of metaprogramming. And I mean, there's this whole notion in the community around, okay, metaprogramming is like useful, but maybe don't use it too much, you know? And that's also what Chris McCord in his book, Metaprogramming Elixir, is advocating for. And I guess, I mean, from what we talked about before pressing record, uh, that's kind of the, the, the journey you also went through, right? Like, <laughs> metaprogramming, oh, that's, that's so cool. Let, let's do things with it. And now you're kind of, okay, maybe let's not do it too much. So like, where, where did all this start? Like, what, what kind of uh, project was that? What kind of problems was that? And why did you at that point think that maybe metaprogramming was the solution for, for all your problems? Yeah, so the project is sort of in the fintech space. It's one of Alembic's clients. Uh, we have a, um, a team that's come in to build them a particular product. They're you know existing uh, existing startup with lots of internal Elixir developers. They were uh, they're very bullish on the commanded framework. So there's lots of event sourcing, and that, that itself was a good fit. And just in terms of with commanded. There's lots of command and event structs to build for the CQRS um, side of it. I guess I should explain what command it is. It's a CQRS, an event sourcing framework for Elixir. I know it's been talked about a lot on the show before. And yeah, so you end up with a lots of um, yeah, lots of structs floating around and just to for the yeah, to create the commands and events. And we decided to use embedded schemas um, for, uh, to to do validation. Etc. So we wanted to reduce some of the boilerplate there. So that was one use of it. And another use, which is sort of the inspiration for the talk, was to reduce boilerplate around a concept in Commanded called a projector, which is going to project events from the event store into a, in this case, a, a, um, a Postgres database through Ecto. And we, you know, basic projectors are fairly straightforward. They take events and decide to write, uh, insert or update or delete uh, records in a read model. And the idea is you can blow those read models away, rerun all your events, etc. But we also did find a few cases where we wanted to do something a little bit special with our projectors. And it turned out that there was going to be lots of boilerplate involved in, in building some, some of these features out. So that's where having you know, done a little bit of metaprogramming with uh, lots of the, I guess, more general parts of the system, 
we thought that was a, a sort of something to explore. And so, yeah, went down the path there of attempting to basically implement a whole bunch of functions on slightly different data from a data structure rather than having to hard code the all the all the um, all the functions and so yeah that's kind of the 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 starting point so yeah how do we do that yeah with macros to massively reduce lines of code and was that at that point would you say what was it, was that a success so like at least in that moment where you said okay we had this concrete problem and then we reached for that hammer which was Better programming in that case, like did, did it help you solve that issue? And like, maybe it, it did in the end. Talk yes. a bit about okay. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. So, it, but it was a bit of a journey, I guess. So, yeah. Confession here: we're talking about macros. Um, I confess, I'm pretty sure I haven't read the the uh, Elixir um, metaprogramming book. So, my experience with macros is reading source code of other libraries and other you know other material online, and yeah the you know thought this is you know this can't be too hard and you know i'm sure i'm sure people are just joking when they say don't use macros um so <laughs> yeah off i off i started on the on the journey and yeah immediately running into what is this quote and unquote and why yeah, yeah. um yeah why am i getting why am i getting variable names returned as opposed to the values carried in those variable names and the yeah these are all the sort of the the newbie pitfalls rookie errors that you can fall into. So after yes, going through that journey, sorry, especially when you when you get to what's like defining functions, right? Because then like also you again like defining basically variables of functions, and then like it's a more, it's a double thing where you like have to consider multiple scopes and actions. So yeah, I can definitely see that this can be hella confusing for somebody who hasn't yet delved too deeply into metaprogramming. Yeah, yeah so sure. you interrupted. Go on. No, that's uh, that's pretty much pretty much it in terms of the the why and yeah some of the, the a teaser into the into the what so yeah I guess the talk sort of follows my learning journey about macros where we're going back to basics you know what you know what are they and in that they're a metaprogramming construct in Elixir and surprisingly if you go look in kernel.ex in the Elixir um, source code def macro is defined by def macro itself so this yeah there's some kind of uh, turtles all the way down there magic some somehow that resolves itself so it's not very helpful just looking at the source code in its in, in itself but it kind of looks def macro kind of looks like a function and the way you see it used in source around uh, around the place looks like a function so that's where i sort of started well okay if i def macro foo given an argument say a number can i can I plus add one to it and return a number? And that kind of works sometimes for really basic inputs, but you soon find all of a sudden it doesn't work because macros not in fact functions. They're they're something slightly different in that they Yeah, but uh, transforming the abstract syntax to you. That's right? yeah, I mean but, if you directly pass it a number, then you give it the abstract syntax to your presentation of a number, which is a number. <laughs> but if you give it anything else, then well, all bets are off basically. Yeah. That's it, yeah. And so, yeah, macros, you know, they're um, what they're, you know, kind of, yeah, accepting as you say is abstract syntax tree. So a quoted expression, and that's where quote comes in. So yeah, taking taking some expression and turning it into the into the abstract syntax tree. So you then have to be careful about what you pass in and be, yeah, collecting the correct thing out of it. So yeah trying to do a macro x plus one you, you're going to literally get x plus one not the value that was yeah. an x in the outer environment so yeah. the next yeah. thing there is okay there's unquoting which is yeah the best explanation i can give is that it's yeah expanding expanding out a um, a quoted expression from from outside and it's effectively a way of capturing the value passed in to a macro yeah i, I like to compare it to string interpolation, actually, when you like consider basically, okay, now I have my quoted expression that's like the abstract interpolation, and now I'm interpolating into that a value, like well, kind of like string interpolation. But it's, I guess, if you never had the experience with macros before, that might be even more confusing to hear it like that. <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, so yeah, sort of being <clears throat> thoroughly confused with some of this stuff. I did a lot of work in the terminal with quoting and unquoting different mm -hmm. things, uh, grabbing the uh, AST and um, you know, seeing what that looks like when you quote and unquote and 
pass it to, I think there's the macro.toString function. And yeah. yeah, you start to see, okay, well, I'm getting, I'm getting proper code out of this. So yeah, I'm sort of understanding where it is and boiling it down to, okay, you know, assigning, having a couple of free variables, quoting them, uh, quoting an expression that unquotes each of them, adds them together. And voila, you have um, something that sort of does what you want uh, without yeah, necessarily fully understanding how it works, but yeah, at least at least it compiles and gives you what you um, what you're expecting. So that's I guess the that was sort of the basics. the The next step in my journey was okay. Well, how can we start to how can I adapt this to this understanding to doing something that I've seen you know in source code elsewhere, where you know there's macros are used to define functions that magically appear in your modules, and that's uh, where using comes in. So there's a discovering or at least understanding the the use directive keyword in um in Elixir and understanding that's actually a, a mac special macro underscore underscore using underscore underscore. I don't know if there's a special name for that, but yeah, that's a, a special macro that if you use uh, put that in a module, use that in another module, you magically get a whole bunch of code injected into your into your sort of into the 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 user module and yeah, and yeah i mean so. that's a kind of especially for people who maybe come from like a bit different background like a ruby that's like i guess like the bridge being built there right with like metaprogramming in ruby or like a, if you include modules or whatever like that also code get executed in the context of original module but like little notice there because it's just a bit not quite sure but the use itself like the keyword use is also just a macro it's a macro which invokes the macro underscore underscore using like that's all there isn't if you i mean i guess that that's a part of your journey too but so guess spoiler here but a lot of what we see in modern air quotes elixir is just a whole bunch of macros like if it's just a macro i'm not sure with def macro is also a macro yeah that's, that's what robert already said i saw that in the sure video with. yeah so weird I'm not sure if yeah. it's a macro, but yeah. There's a whole Wait, bunch a of... macro too. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I do want to touch on that def macro is a macro. Uh, it's, it's really cool because uh, you'd be like, okay, def macro, def macro, how does that work? So Elixir is bootstrap, right? Like it, 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 the kernel module gets compiled twice, once as part of the bootstrap and once after the kernel module itself is compiled. So there's, if you look at the kernel module, they're importing something called Elixir bootstrap. That's a module that defines def macro which is used inside kernel to define def macro. So while Elixir is being compiled, the def macro that's being used is defined in Elixir bootstrap module. Is um, that like a so, lighter version then of, of def macro? Yeah, it's only it's it's all in memory that's only supposed to be there until the bootstrapping is done. And then the kernel gets compiled when bootstrap's uh, flag is set to false. And then and any other module using def macro from there on uses the kernel version of def macro that's why at the top of kernel they say import kernel except def def macro why are you importing kernel in kernel and not importing def so you could use elixir bootstraps version of def and def macro it's really weird but that kind of allows them to be like 90 percent bootstrapped that's pretty neat <laughs> I would love to I get like the story there of like how, how that was envisioned. So like getting like how how was like the thought process and like the steps which which led up to Elixir basically compiling itself. That would be interesting. So I'm guessing that must be written in Erlang then, I'm guessing, right? Because this Probably. can't be part of or yeah, Elixir. I'm pretty sure it's Erlang, yes. So it's because Bootstrap, by the time, you don't have access to Elixir. So any uh, pre-Bootstrapped modules have to be written in Elixir. They are like all atoms. They're not the Elixir modules. Okay. One note, like it's a bit derailed, but you just said, Robert, that you haven't read the Metaprogramming Elixir book, right? I just shout, I started multiple times on the show again, but like it's, it's so slim. Like it's mm. less than 100 pages. <laughs> and yeah, it's definitely worth the read. So I, I no can only wholeheartedly recommend this. So everybody who's like even remotely interested in metaprogramming, programming, this is like a thing you can read in like two hours on this on the couch. It's like seriously, there's so much wisdom in here. I have it in my also, hand. Someone wants so, a good, yeah. someone wants a newer metaprogramming book. My book is coming out in three months. It's got a metaprogramming <laughs> chapter that's eighty pages long. So enough self-promotion, I guess. <laughs> okay, but um, you were saying, Robert, like, okay, I mean, there's like this whole, this use and using, which is injecting code, right? We kind of went on a tangent about like lots of things, Elixir being, being like macros down under the hood. But yeah, so I guess that's what you opted for in your case to say, okay, now we, we may, maybe want to have our own flavor of projectors. And so let's use this 
magic use. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the UZ, the the module that's defining the the using macro in this case is implementing a lot of the things that you would want to you would have in a normal projector and they, those things will be enumerated across some data and then and then injected into the um into the into the user module yeah that's that was kind of the the intention and having seen at least the sort of the much more typical use case and the use case that we actually did develop for for our embedded schemas where we just want to have a couple of uh, convenience functions on every one of these embedded schemas. I thought, well, okay, the that's doable, but can I, yeah, rather than having just one version of a particular function, have multiple function clauses with with different um, pattern matches, and those pattern matches coming from some data structure that we define, and then being able to say this the user module is is some kind of instance of a of this special projector so yeah you can sort of see where this is potentially going and it's, it is getting into that territory again where people um warn warn you off trying to re-implement object-oriented programming with with macros too much there's a bit of a sort of an inheritance hierarchy kind of thing if you squint but yeah that that's kind of where we wanted to um wanted to take it and so yes, the, the the next step there was okay. We I know how to make one function. How can I enumerate multiple multiple functions? And yeah, that was that was where the the backfiring of the 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 um from the the, the sort of the subtitle of my talk, which is busting boilerplate backfires, came into it. So you know, learning sort of the some of the fundamentals, at least you know, a particular viewpoint of the fundamentals was was one thing. But yeah, doing something a little bit um a, a little bit off the um the trodden path uh, was yeah something something else entirely. And so the the sort of the the first step there was okay. Well, inside my def macro using, I've got you know some I know the the data that's going to say it could be module names or or some other kind of atom names that I want to use as one of the arguments to a you know function with multiple clauses so you know if you've got atoms a b c I want you know def foo a def foo b def foo c and so the you know there's those um, three clauses how do I get how do I get a b and c into the macro so while well, it's a data it's a list let's do some you know, just loop through with enum map or enum each. I think in the case of macros, and this is uh, something I'm still not 100% clear about, is whether you have to use enum each to loop through, emit a whole bunch of quote expressions. But anyway, it depends, the depends on what you want to do. Depends on what you want to do. Like um, if you, for example, want to define a whole bunch of functions, you can do both. Like you can do each and map. I think you can always pretty much like do both in that case, um, because like in the body of of a module, like if you do def, like the def itself, like again as a macro and it like registers a function definition. Like this is basically a side effect, so that works. But if you in all other cases, to to like even have if you're transforming something into like AST into code effectively, right? And then you need to use that because like at the end of the day, something has to pop out. No? Well, if you're defining multiple functions inside a code, each won't work because you have to return uh, mm, all the ASTs. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty certain that you can actually get away with just using dev because the dev is side effecty. Like it's not, <laughs> I'm, it's, I'm not, I'm, I would have to double check to be honest, but I think you can get away with, with each because like dev, just isn't just like returning the AST and then like I don't know the module compilation kind of takes the AST from there, but like basically when you do def, you you give def a whole bunch of AST like function name, oh. arguments, and the body. Oh, I see. And that you use each inside the code. Inside uh, the code is no, no, no. Like if you're like on the top, I guess it was on the top level of a module, like where you do enum each, and then you could say uh -huh. inside inside of that each you could do def, and that would work. Right. But, so it's inside the code, not outside. Okay, got it. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, in my talk, I actually did explore each and map sort of settling, settling on, on map. And so it's a, yeah, there's, there's no harm in using map to be honest. Like, so like, even if each works, like you can use map and to be honest, <laughs> it's like, arguably the clarity is going to be higher. So yeah. Yeah. Well, if you are defining the quotes inside the loop, you would have to use map to capture all the ASTs. But if your each is inside the quote, then that's fine, right? Then each is part of the quote. It, it, but like I said, it, it entirely depends on what you are quoting. 
if you are quoting, like if you basically, what you can do, what I've done on, on like top level, module level, you can basically, because it's like, it's like kind of the same execution context as macros. Uh, and then you can actually do each there and say like, for each item in this list, I'm going to do a def. And that works because def is side effective, basically. It's keeping the registration. I'm pretty sure it does. That'll work. No, I, I think I think what I'm trying to say is if you have a macro, right? There's two mm-hmm. contexts inside macro. One inside quote and one outside quote. Yeah, sure. right? So if you're doing it outside quote and capturing a bunch of quotes, you have to do map because you have to capture all the ASTs. But if you're putting it inside quote, it's part of the AST itself. So it'll work because if, you, if yeah. you're doing it... At high, top level of module that same context as inside the code it doesn't matter if it's deaf it doesn't matter if it anything it'll just work if it's inside the code because each is part of your ast i think we're still talking past each other but <laughs> <laughs> that's the best part about meta programming right yeah, <laughs> yeah this is the, uh, th- this is the problem this is why it's so yeah probably on uh on watching my talk it's so yeah so hard to get get through it all because yeah the um the hand wringing and uh, mental gymnastics uh, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah or, you have these two execution contexts of the code in like mm. the same code. And that is like you get used to it, especially like when you get used to like understanding what is the AST actually. And like if you get like uh, to a point where you look at some code and you kind of know what kind of AST they will produce, then, then, then things start to make sense. But un- until that point, it's like it's like these two execution contexts for the same code. And depending on what context you're right now thinking through, the code does different things. And that's yeah. <laughs> It's like the best way to put it, to be honest. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and yeah. So yeah, doing the the gymnastics of the looping and trying to get quote and unquote in the right place, it sort of worked uh, eventually with you know, you know trying different you know permutations and combinations of all that. Then I did make a bit of a mistake inside. I wanted to not only have the functions defined by this, you know, this list of module names of, uh, or atoms, um, I also wanted some other f- uh, other functions that you would, yeah, that were just, you know, single, single clauses of, like I said before, the sort of the normal case of this kind of using macro where you just want to make sure, inject a particular function into a module. So I put that after the, you know, this, this list of, of function definitions, and then I no longer have those, those function definitions. I just have this last function that I defined and all the others are gone. And I guess sort of not thinking that about these execution contexts and about the, you know, how macros are similar and different to normal functions, it uh, didn't occur to me at all until reading a very obscure Elixir forum thread that, well, of course, if you have multiple quotes inside a def macro it's only going to return the last one just like the, a function only returns the last the last value or uh, or the result of the last expression so then yeah had to uh, stitching stitching all the, those together so i can uh, say assign assign all the the enumerated functions to a variable assign the whatever other functions to a variable return them as a list sort of worked and but not quite and i think the answer Again, just probably from trying different things, is that there is a another version of unquote called unquote splicing, and that seemed to take the if I if I use that on the list of functions, that seemed to expand them in a slightly different way. And happy days, I have all my functions, and that's yeah, kind of where I left it. Everything everything works. Got all all the functions I need and nicely boilerplate free but yes it was it was a journey and yes we i wonder wh- is it worth it yeah or you have to wonder whether it's whether it's sometimes worth the um the effort but i guess next time if i need it again can go straight to the end okay question what would you do it again with macros if you had to make the same decision again today <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess around the same time as uh, we were doing this, there was a lot of a lot of talk uh, from the likes of uh, Chris Keithley and Quinn Wilton about and others about uh, protocols versus behaviors, and I feel like possibly this use case we could do something very similar with with the protocol. I'm not one hundred percent sure, uh, but that's what I would try now and try and get as far as possible with just using using protocols, using using I guess non metaprogramming first class 
features of the language to 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 get there instead. And it's possible that yeah that it would work, or a, a combination with, of some simpler macros and and protocols. Because yeah, some of the things we're looping through our our modules that might work and yeah might have avoided the the issues, but I guess yeah wouldn't have had that um that learning. But yeah, definitely it's worth that's worth worth seeing. I think as a definitely a recommendation. I and, and that only occurred to me after I gave the talk a little while after that. Yes, this is um this is possibly something that uh, protocols could solve or help solve. I think there's Mike from my perspective. There's a lot of discussion also happening that protocols are maybe a bit underused and arguably in especially in places where they would improve clarity right because it means at the end of the day it's pretty clear whenever you invoke protocol of course then you need to find the definition of wherever that code has been defined like the, but at the end of the day still it's like you see okay goes to this module this module is a protocol so at least i now know that it's a protocol and in the case of a macro especially if it's a lot like it's in a using context you might end up a situation where like where the hell did that function come from <laughs> Why is that function there? <laughs> What is it doing? <laughs> Who defined it? Where can I find it? And that I mean, you still have the use, but uh, it can be a bit harder to to dig them down, especially when it goes very strongly into like meta programming function definitions, etc. PP. So yeah, I would like to know. I mean, like we just I just ask you if, if you would like to if you would do it again, but also do you think it like it actually? I mean, it helped you do less boilerplate. But was it? Would you say it increased clarity? Like it increased clarity in the context of now that's only the code that matters in those modules, or was it also a situation where maybe you then figured out, okay, um, it's something I always have to explain, for example, to new people joining when joining the code base, right? And it's like a bit of a mental overhead, and maybe just writing out that boilerplate would have been easier to understand. So, what is your take on that? Yeah, it's an interesting question. The the particular use case here. There are some things, some probably some orthogonal issues that make the whole this whole feature a little bit a little bit complicated anyway. Regardless of how how we sort of you know uh, implemented it, in that we have about yeah three for each say for each one of the for each one of the uh, I guess the these modules that participates in this in this meta projector. There's a projection, and then there's a couple of core common projections as well too um so there's a bit of a bit of a relationship loose relationship between some of the projections in this particular feature and that would have um yeah would that is confusing anyway so uh, yeah ha taking people through that sort of yeah makes it probably almost the same and i sort of think about implementations like this as a bit of a it's the, the analogy of like a waterbed you push down one Part of a waterbed, and the rest of it, the rest of it all rises up, and you decide where you where you're going to push down and put all the nasty stuff, so that everything else rises up and is um is kind of nice. So the modules that that use this uh, macro module are relatively clean and not too difficult to explain in their own right because some of the detail is just is just hidden away. So yeah, I guess an implementation detail of projectors is they return an ecto multi yeah this this meta projector is just taking an ecto multi and doing doing some special things with it and so yeah the interface for someone writing a new one of these using uh, user uh, projectors is yeah basically you know copy and paste from the from the next one and putting in there you know the custom logic so i think it is i think it is worth it there's so yeah you have a dark corner in your code base and i guess so long as a couple of people understand it and you you can explain it a little bit or you know t take the time to explain it and document it it's okay but i mean yes it's not it's not not ideal it'd be nice if you know absolutely every line of code was super clear but yes you sort of do put some nasty stuff in one in one corner to make the rest of the rest of the uh the house nice and tidy Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and, in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships, and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, 
where you're trying to go, and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. It's as long as you find the right layer of abstraction and that mm -hmm. works for you, then I, I think that's an acceptable trade-off. I think we, we've, we've, everybody who has been in this industry long enough has have had the experience of working on a code base where that layer of abstraction was not cut correctly. And you kind of have to fight the code base all the, all the time because you have these abstractions and they don't really match your problems. So like, they're like, ah, this is, feels so bad. This is so difficult even though it should be easy yeah but basically you optimize for the wrong things i certainly have that happened to me so and that, that's just at that point uh, that's the moment where you then sit there and 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 curse on, on the people who came before you <laughs> yes well yeah unfortunately this is a greenfield project so it's past rob the cursing <laughs> i see i'm really glad robert that you said that you would have well in a way you said that you would make that decision again i think my program is like over-demonized in Elixir. I think it's not metaprogramming that's wrong. It's the implementation like you guys are talking about, right? Like, and it's like, I mean, I think one example I like to give, because I we heavily rely on metaprogramming, especially for testing, because, you know, you said like, you know, we can expect people to write boilerplate code and also standardize, right? Like, you know, you want people to do things a specific way. Like, it's a great way to force that. But the way I introduce it to people is like, you, you know how in GenServer we... People say Elixir, don't just use a gen server, try to implement a gen server using spawn and all that stuff, right? I think same should be for macros. Don't use a macro. Try to implement a macro. Try to write a macro with functions, right? Uh, like just you can unquote coded elements by using code.eval coded, right? Try to understand how code coded blocks work and when to evaluate that. When, once you understand that, it will Macros are a lot simpler than Gen 7 and process, right? Like if you just need to understand when something is being evaluated. And I think once you understand that properly, you will test your assertions properly and use it at the right places. So I think metaprogram is awesome. It's one of the best features in Elixir. So I'm glad you did not say that you wouldn't have done it again because that's like the cliche answer in the Elixir community. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, I agree. I think, I think metaprogramming is like salt. A lot too much of it is really ruining the dish completely, but completely without it, it kind of gets bland. <laughs> and then you kind of get into like Java land where you have like get defined getters and setters and like everything all the fucking time. There's uh, so much boilerplate that you can't even find the real code for anymore. So. And yeah, yeah I mean, no people can no people can hate me for bashing Java, but that's uh, my my passion. <laughs> like completely without my program, you don't have X, you don't, you don't have Ecto, you don't have Absinthe, you don't have anything, right? You so, don't have X like, unit, yeah. Like, it's a, ex no exactly X unit, yeah. Mm. <laughs> assert, assert, test, everything is a macro. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And in fact, um, in the Q and A after my talk, someone said proudly said, oh, "I've never used a macro." Now I happen to know what they're working on, and they're not using Phoenix, but they are using X unit. So I mean, there's lots of uh, lots nice. of macros in Phoenix. Every you know, Phoenix is just, well coming from the you know cut from the same cloth, right? But right. you you can't avoid them. You may not have written one, but yeah, you've definitely used them whether you whether you know it or not. You, you ever defined a module, <laughs> def module? <laughs> well, well, yes, yes, absolutely. And yeah, to the point of sort of yeah, doing learning about the more what I did go through quickly in the. In the talk was uh, something that is on the elixirlang.org website uh, talking about macros is um, showing a macro implementation of unless and it takes you through okay well, what if we wanted to implement unless with just a function and the the problem there is that the expression you pass in is going to be eagerly evaluated so if you you know say i think the example there is they you know they print something this should never be printed but it does get printed uh, regardless of whether your um, your uh, clause is true or false and yeah the yeah, macros are a way of of solving that so i think you know that um, that does sell the basics for sure and every now and then you'll have someone who hates macros come and say oh you could pass an anonymous function <laughs> then it won't be eagerly evaluated <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes i haven't tried that but yes it did, that did that did cross my mind there's yeah there's there's always another way but it's not so how, how many dark places does your code bases have? Are the dark macro places of dark magic? Our test suite. I mean, we want to. I mean, it's it's crazy, dude. Like every so, my rule is like whenever we write meta programming, have reflections. That's something I learned from reading Ecto's code base based in 2017. Like, there, if you look at Ecto's tests, 
as part of their module compiles, they define underscore underscore functions. They call that reflections. And in the test suite, they make sure, okay, was this part compiled correctly? This, ex this you know, they're documenting, they're logging, basically, what the metaprogramming, how the code is being evaluated. And I think following that, like, transparency and debuggable metaprogram macro me methodology and, like, taking it to tests, like, because uh, tests is where it's, like, most powerful because I want, like, you guys know I like 100% code coverage, explicitly ignoring what you're not testing, not like, not don't test endpoints, for example, but like ignore files that you don't want to test. So you always have 100% of the code that you want, want to be tested. So it, it's hard to motivate others to do that, right? But if you write a simple macro that tests whether all your endpoints in router have been tested, if not, your test suite breaks. Right, like it's it, metaprogramming is great for stuff like that that you don't want people to repeat, but you want to exist. Right, standardization, boilerplate. So yeah, huge fan of that. Our test suite is flooded with macros. Yeah, fair enough. But I guess that makes that makes sense, especially because in those contexts, it's more forgivable when like maybe like a macro is not quite working out as you hope to, because like you're more in a, like a safe safe experimentation place. So yeah, I, I can definitely see that happening. And I mean, I, I've written my fair share of macros, but right? like, if you remember like the very first episode I was on here, like, as I'm writing as a guest, was about Knigge. Yeah, my library. And that's like literally, it's like a macro in a package. <laughs> that's like all it is. So I'm definitely not, not for demonizing macros in general, but um, like I said, it's, it's salt. It's salt. Don't use it too much. Use it responsibly and it's going to make your code base better. But I guess um, the learning experience from macros could be a tiny bit better. I'm not sure how to, to tackle that, how to maybe get people more in the, in the sense of, okay, hey, now you enter macro land and that's like powerful and, and gives you a lot of tools. Buy my with, book. With great power comes great responsibility. So basically that. I would buy my book. It teaches you how to write dev macro and how to how quoted expressions work. Like half of the chapter teaches you metaprogram without calling def macro. Again, enough enough promotion, but <laughs> I, I mean, that's how you, you teach I, others I, gen I, server, right? So <laughs> yeah, I have a sudden urge to buy your book, Adi. I don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> I believe we were told we we're going to get a copy, right? I'm still waiting for yeah, a copy. Yeah, everyone oh, yes. in Elixir Mix will get a free copy. Yep. Nice. He's, he's going to keep saying that for 20 years, right? I've been trying for a <laughs> copy of this book now. Why, 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 why haven't I write, wrote the foreword, Adi? I'm very disappointed. <laughs> You guys will get a beta. Probably you, you can, you, you, you know, you never know. You might get a chance to do that. <laughs> okay. You, uh, yeah, you gave me praise last time we talked, right? You said, oh, Alan, you always give, you know, you're, you're the brutal guy in the company that makes people feel bad, but somebody has to do it. Yep. So you want me to so do the follow that about you. Alan, Alan have, have you made people feel bad about macros? Just remember the rule. Don't write macros, right? Or, or something like that. So I never really had a reason to ever write one. I mean, I think it's because, you know, they, they do have this stigma to them that they are difficult. And once I see the AST, I want to vomit, right? Because it just looks so foreign. It really it looks very foreign, right? So little, it kind of blows you away. And you're like... Little fun fact. It's like the AST and like the way in Elixir, you can basically express anything as an AST and you can transform anything. It kind of makes a list, Elixir a little list. Yep, true. exactly. It's true. <laughs> yes. I guess like it's like a weird realization because I, I, I've written some lists because I used to use Emacs. I have since and then migrated away from that but like lisp is a thing in of itself like i, I don't even want to get assign any kind of uh value to it but it's it's definitely an experience yeah. Uh, yeah any language that has a native representation of asd is a lisp yeah pretty much i guess and especially when you kind of like free transform it because that's like the, one of our big selling points of ace exactly. uh, of lisp right that they like, can write lisp to write Lisp, and the same is true with Elixir. They can write Elixir, right. write Elixir. Yes, so I, I did mention that uh, property, homoiconicity. I don't know, is it uh, strictly homoiconic? But I guess if you're asserting can, that it's it's a Lisp, then I guess it probably is. Can, can, can the ESC part define, has to be. Can you uh, define myoconic my for our listeners again? That is a homoiconic is a pr property where code is data and data is, co data is code. They're uh, one and the same. So yeah, code is basically a data structure. And, and data structures can represent code, and yeah, you can see that when you when you quote an expression and you get AST out, that it is an effectively well, in fact, is an Elixir data structure. Yeah, I think I mean that holds true for Elixir, except for some 
very specialized forms, right? I mean, there is literally the kernel special forms module, and that is then, as the name says, special forms. Those are not necessarily the written in the legacy reflect the same tools, but it's like a surprisingly short list of things. It's a surprisingly short list of things. A lot of the daily building blocks Elixir, uh, we developers use are just macros and you uh, build, build using the AST and trans- uh, transform transforming it into other things. <laughs> you should see Alan Alice like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these people are saying okay. smart words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think now I have to start playing with macros, I guess. I, I had that book for forever and I haven't cracked it open yet because I haven't had a need to write a macro. It's it's again it's so short. I have it in my hands right now. I'm holding it in the camera and stick it. It's it's old man. I have a digital copy. Smaller, man. Nobody uses paper than copy thumb, anymore. But then you can't make coffee stains. I have coffee stains on my book. If you can't put yeah, it on your bookshelf, it's not really a a, a a geek trophy. Then yes, exactly. Actually, I mean, I have this book next to my desk. I, I'm in my day to day job. I'm not really much coding anymore. I have, probably haven't coded in the last three weeks, <clears throat> but. Yeah, when I was still very much active coding, like I, I cracked this thing open pretty regularly. Like every time, I basically look into some doing some macroy things which are not trivial, right? <laughs> then I crack this thing open because it's so short. You also, very super quickly find the place uh, where, 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 which helps you to 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 do whatever you want to do in that moment. So I again, I it's. I've picked it, I think, twice already on this podcast as a pick, and I mentioned it more than that on in episodes where we talked about metaprogramming. It's really, it's well worth the read. And also, of course, Ali's book, I even though I haven't read it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think this is getting a meme. Okay. So, if you like had to distill down like the whole your whole journey, Robert, like if you down to like, I don't know, like a few uh, notes, like a few um, bullet points. And tell the, those to your to your past self, right? Like if you have, I don't know, like let's say you have to distill them down to like a tweet <laughs> and give that to your past self to make it easier. What, what, what would that be? I would be, I could be facetious, facetious and say that I would tweet the link to the the Elixir forum post that sort of opened, yeah, sort of you know opened the floodgates to understanding what the problem was right at the end. But in in all seriousness, yes, I think prob- probably to. Read, read the metaprogramming book and because it's only it's only 80 pages long or however long it is but um you can read it in two hours and that yes that you, you will tear your hair out but a bit but it is worth the journey and yes probably yeah getting just a, yeah, a little uh give myself a little uh, tip on what quote and unquote do that's probably it okay fair enough so do we any have, have any demons left to capture or talk about or unleash, however you might want to frame it? Nothing about commanded or CQRS you wanted to talk about? <laughs> I mean, if we have something new to explore there, and that's like that's that's the point. Right? Like we, we talked a lot about commanded and event sourcing. The things that we have run up against with with commanded is, I guess, uh, as you if you're working using it for a greenfield project where you're not um super familiar with the the domain we did we did find that we yeah we need to sort of evolve our commands and events that are running through the system and in commanded if creating new commands is fine but it's um it's dealing with events uh, when you realize oh hang on there's actually probably another field that i need to add to this um event but you have to deal with all the events that have already been committed into the into the event store, and so do you. Do you add a, a field that is not required, or you know, do you version your do you version your events, and then you have to deal with upcasting and making sure that the system you evolve the system from one clean state to the next. And so, yeah, we we sort of, uh, went down the path of you know, versioning our events. So we just create a new a new module uh, with the this, if it's effectively the same event, just the same, the same module name with a version, a version number. I'm not sure if there are better techniques than that, but that's one that that's what we decided to to do, and it, that's worked relatively well. And another thing was migrations, doing so data migrations with uh, with commands and uh, running fix up uh, fix ups. So yeah, you need to adjust some data both in the not necessarily modifying the event log, but emit run a command that's going to emit, emit an event that will adjust values accordingly to get back to a consistent state. 
how do you do that in the context of data migrations? How do you do that in the context of running it against a cluster that you can't necessarily get shell access to? So yeah, that's the um, those are the sort of the questions that we've um, run, sort of edges, sharp edges that we've run into. We sort of have a solution. It's not doesn't seem totally ideal. It does it does work, and our system continues to to run without dreaded consistency errors or other other kinds of errors that can cascade through a um, commanded system when you get things wrong. Yeah, fair enough. I'm actually, I mean, I, I've worked with commanded, and I've I've asked myself some of the same questions. I left the project before few of those were realized for example like the whole versioning topic was something we discussed rather early and then decided to cross the bridge when we get to it um but yeah so i guess command has not yet built in a best practice way of doing that right like where they say hey versioning is going to happen in an event source system at some point because literally it's about keeping all events because that's the source of your truth that's right event sourcing the name comes from um but the command has no like no I don't know best practice guides on that yet. I, I haven't checked it in a while, so not uh, not the uh, not as of the last time I looked. Yeah, nothing on okay. um, versioning, but I know that there. You know, ben Smith, the the creator, has some um, um, does make recommendations, but it it, it um, they're you know elaborate versions of um, the the typical answer in software engineering. It depends on the, on your circumstances. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, we, we um, as a team, we, we spoke to him as well on a video call and picked his brain about a few things. And um, yeah, we, we did learn a lot there and that, that helped us. But yeah, yeah, as systems grow, you, you know, inevitably you know, reach the, the edges of, um, of sort of what's been, uh, what's been documented and what's been standardized. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what we, that's what we just, we've decided to do. And yeah, and we, have decided we don't use process managers in almost any circumstance. There are, yeah, we found other ways of sort of, uh, yeah, of having workflows or interactions between different aggregates, etc. So, yeah, we've we've made some, yeah, decisions there that have helped us. Um, but and yeah, we're reasonably happy with that. And uh, yeah, as a company, uh, Alembic that I work for, we're fairly fairly bullish on on commanded we've used it in several projects and yeah we always try to um to see whether yeah the cqrs paradigm is going to be a better fit for you know part of the the domain as opposed to just a, a crud app and yeah i certainly enjoy some of the i guess the rails that it puts you on and some of those layers of abstraction that it, it, i guess it guides you down and yeah it can make some parts of the code base a lot cleaner i think than than you would otherwise have in a in a in a crud system with contexts and what what should go in the context and yeah how yeah where where do ecto queries live etc cetera, etc cetera. it's a, yeah it helps but only only within the context of what is a is part of the the event sourcing side of the app if you, it's you, know, you don't you don't build your whole app event sourced only the parts that that make sense but those parts yeah, that do yeah, yeah. it um that is- yeah, it makes them quite clean. That is also a learning uh, we, we had in that project because the, the, the team was relatively early career and we didn't have a lot of event sourcing experience at that point. Basically, one of the more senior engineers made the decision this makes sense here to make it an event source system. And I, I, down the road, when I had a better understanding of the pattern, I uh, could see why it did make a lot of sense. But of course, early career developers were event sourcing. That's event source all the thing. And that's like something we then stepped away from from at some point where we like made the at that point projection the source of truth then and just threw away the event stream for like some parts they said okay now it's now it's a crud app but that part of the system is crud and that other part is event sourced i think that's like one of the most important parts in doing an event source system where like deciding what is not event sourced more specific to elixir actually is is that from as far as i know there's commanded and commanded is secure is and event sourcing, so it's not just event sourcing, it's also like using CQRS, which just for anybody who has not heard it before, super short definition is basically, usually in a CRUD system, you have like database models, and those represent both like the read and the write perspective. Like you write to them, but you also read from them. And CQRS is basically about separating those two responsibilities. So you have like one way of writing data, which is like optimized for writing, and you have another way of reading data, which is optimized for reading. Both are 
independent to a certain degree from each other. They, of course, communicate. And in the case of CQRS and event sourcing, they communicate for events. So this is a nutshell. And I don't, I'm not aware of like any way to easily go the event sourced route in Elixir without buying into the full-blown CQRS experience. And I feel it's something that's which is missing, to be honest, because um, event sourcing is a super powerful pattern. And CQRS is also a super powerful pattern. And they both go nicely together. But there are cases where I could say, hey, the whole complexity shebang of CQRS, it's actually not worth it here. Like, I, I just want to emit an event and I want to be consume it, but I don't want to like go through the whole shebang of writing commands and having aggregates and all that kind of things. Like, I just let me emit an event here. <laughs> that, 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 that's enough, right? And then I, I'll deal with like handling and consuming those events. But there, as far as I know, there's like no middle ground. There's nothing which helps you say, okay, I now have, I mean, there's the event store library, but it's pretty low level, to be honest. There's like, for example, the whole, End part of 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 like of command which says okay like now I have event handlers and I have projections and they can get events and they can write database tables that could arguably also exist without um, going the commands route like those two things could live and exist independent from each other but I'm not aware of like a easy way to do, to go about that and it I'm I'm standing at at this junction right now because we are in, at, at my current employer we've made the decision to. Um, migrate to like a monolithic app again to like a modulith, basically still applying separation of concerns principles for microservices, but just not doing microservices because we're a small team. Microservices is like a deployment solution. So especially it helps you like with bigger teams, but it's not really, it's not something where we gain a lot of benefit from. Um, But there are again, again, some parts of the system where arguably event sourcing would be a pretty good fit because it's based on like basically what the user is doing like they're doing and completing things and, and that is and based on that you want to trigger some logic so at the end of the day it boils down to being a whole bunch of events like whatever the user did and trigger logic from there so it would be pretty cool if you could say hey this thing is event source but maybe not do the whole commands but it's just necessary here it's way too much we already basically get the data as events so why transform it into a command to then have an event again but yeah like i said there's nothing i don't i don't know of anything which like bridges that gap which is a bit a bit sad i couldn't i couldn't tell you the names of them i believe there are some other cqrs libraries in elixir and i there is a library that sort of does auditing of database operations so yeah it will it will write write an audit log to another table so that and that is supposed to be uh, append only so th- yeah there are some things out there like i say can't uh, couldn't tell you the names of them but yeah i think they do exist but we yeah have gone for the what is seemingly i guess the the rolls royce solution in elixir being commanded yeah that, 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 that's a nice sword. analogy that's a nice analogy commanded it's like the rolls royce of secret and even sourcing and sometimes maybe maybe a beetle is enough <laughs> absolutely okay since we literally just passed the one hour mark uh, unless there's anything else we'd like to discuss and I would transition us to picks. Alan, Adi, you you good? Robert, anything? Oh wait, there's like one thing, right? Like so, yeah, I, I just remember there's like one thing. Um, so I mean, Robert, you, this whole talk you gave was on the uh, on a conference in Australia, right? So uh, you, you, you uh, wanted to, to share a bit about meetup, meetup. Okay, sorry, but nah, same, same. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like uh, how how is like a community over there? I mean, it's literally the other side of the world from my perspective. Yeah. So yes, well, it's uh, small but but growing. There's uh, Australia has had a reasonably strong functional programming community, but it's mainly been more in the strongly typed arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, a small amount of closure, but yeah, lots of uh, Scala, a bit of uh, a bit of uh, Haskell, and lo- yeah, lots of formal methods type stuff. There's one of the universities here, and the CSIRO, which is like a government-funded um, science organization research organization developed with the ones who developed SEL for Linux, the which has a approvably secure and I guess memory safe uh, kernel. So there's yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff in academia, but in industry, not as much functional programming. And so you know Elixir is a niche within a niche within a niche there, but it is growing. Alembic, the who I work for, is a believe one of only a very small number of any kind of consultancies that that work with elixir there might be one or two others out there but i would i would be surprised if they were bigger than alembic and we we have about 25 almost almost 25 people now all of all of whom can do a little bit of elixir among other things 
And there's a few companies around that do use Elixir, various startups. And yeah, there's, there's some that, you know, clients of, of, of ours that didn't really mind what it was. And so, yeah, they have Elixir running. And yes, it's, but it's, there, there, there are signs that it's, that it's growing. And the other interesting thing is my former employer before Alembic was Telstra, who is Australia's largest tel- telco. And there was a small team of about 15 people doing Elixir in there in, you know, uh, in the, in, wow. in, yeah, back in the, um, in the homeland, so to speak. So, and that's how I got into Elixir. I, uh, I had done a talk many years ago, Erlang, but not really used it, but just sort of gave a talk on it um, to a functional programming group. And yeah, many years later, a recruiter contacted me and said that Telstra need Elixir programmers. You've, you, I see you've done some Erlang. Would you like to to you know, sort of apply? So I did. And luckily, got that um, got that role. I was yeah there for about two years doing um, yeah doing Elixir and and telecoms. And yeah, so that was um, that, that was quite good. And yeah, it was a it was a definitely breath breath of fresh air compared to other you know, other things I've worked on in the past. And sadly, that team is slow, ever so slowly shrinking within within Telstra. They have like tens of thousands of employees, and you know many many silos, and it's sort of hard to get any kind of um, any kind of uh, airtime in there. But yeah, they're they're still going, and they did they've done some. They did some pretty amazing things with um, with the beam to um, massively consolidate hardware and uh, increase throughput, etc. And yeah, really, um, and it's all yeah, gen servers and supervisors, uh, uh, very little, not much Phoenix or Ecto. So it was really going right back to the um, to the roots, the roots there. But um, yeah, the slowly but surely, where the community does seem to grow and uh, and we're looking at doing camps and uh, possibly an ElixirConf AU as opposed to EU um, maybe next year sometime. Nice. That sounds pretty exciting. So I hope, hope, to, hope to hear that the community grows and that like you're that, that more people hear the gospel of Elixir. <laughs> you, can't, you can't raise me my hand. I can't see, you can't see how I raise my hand, but it's very epic. <laughs> I just love the fact that uh, Robert's company's name is Alembic and they're doing Elixir. I just love that. So, <laughs> did they name it Alembic because of Elixir, or is that a coincidence? Uh, no, that's the, that's it. So the fo- the, the founders, mm. Josh Price, and I forget the the name of the other the other founder, but um, which yeah is very bad of me. But yes, they um they were both uh, I think sort of uh, Java then Ruby kind of uh, consultants, and yeah, caught the the Elixir bug, and um, nice. Yeah, they actually worked on. I think they, I believe they may have worked on Absinthe very, very early on. A few con- contributions if you go far enough back, and yeah, that's what they you know, were trying to do. Something a bit, a bit different. And yeah, so it, yeah, most people that have joined have joined because they're uh, the company uh, have joined because they're uh, passionate about the um, the about about Elixir. But we do do a few other things as well because you know it, it is. Um, it is a fairly conservative market, and yeah, so we do a, a few things that are a, bit, a little bit more mainstream. But yeah, this because we now have inter, uh, several international clients, there's plenty of uh, plenty of work. So, I guess for everybody who is in living in Australia, are you hiring? Uh, yes, we're always interested in in uh, talking to uh, people who are yeah keen on Elixir, and we are hiring not just in Australia but also New Zealand, Asia, and we just hired someone who lives in hawaii so yes possibly in the not too distant future the the sun will never set alembic hopefully and yeah there'll be you know we'll have people all around and i think it's becoming easier and easier for consultancies to work wherever and also hire uh, hire staff where wherever they live so yeah alembic certainly set up for that so you know we're interested in in talking to anyone who can sort of work in the near enough to the australian eastern standard time and yeah the olympic website will definitely be in the show notes yes and we're going to include a link to to that okay and then maybe aside from your employer if people want to get in touch with you personally robert how would they do that so i am robert ellen on twitter and i look at it a lot i don't post a huge amount of uh of things but i'm connected with lots of people on elixir i definitely share all our um all our talks and blog posts and that sort of thing from the from the community here so yeah twitter's um 
which was good, a good place. And I also do have a, uh, a website, robertellen.dev, which looks very ugly at the moment. But yes, at, at some stage, I'll formally go live on, on that one. And that's a static site developed in Elixir, which itself is an interesting concept, but that's uh, a story for another time, as they say. Fair enough. <laughs> hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Okay, then let us transition to picks, and since he's distracted, Alan, what are your picks for this week? I'm never distracted. So I just have one pick. I think last week I picked a specific backpack, and actually uh, I upgraded my backpack to a bigger size. So recently I've been trying to get more into filming and stuff. So I got a couple of GoPros and I got to sell and I decided to get a backpack for that. And since I'm going to be traveling back to U.S. pretty soon, yeah, I need to bring something with me on the airplane, right? You can't be carrying all this electronic stuff with you and your check-in. So I got this uh, Weekender backpack from GoPro. Pretty happy with it. Stores basically everything plus some more. So yeah, I think uh, that's definitely my pick for this week. Nice, Adi. What are your what are your picks? What are your pick? I have a ton of picks. So let's ooh, start ooh. with. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, let's start with jobs, right? So I have uh, one of the companies I'm advising, they're in stealth mode, they're NFT marketplace startup, completely Phoenix Live View Elixir. They're looking to hire their second engineer. So if you have Elixir experience, if you have a little bit of crypto experience or knowledge or, or are interested there, reach out. This is a US-only position, unfortunately. But yeah, it's, uh, it's either of the coasts. So the time zone doesn't matter. It's remote friendly. Uh, so that's a job. And now I have a job seeker who is probably top five Elixir engineers in the world, I think. He is actually looking for a job. If you guys have a job that is worth his time, reach out to me. Uh, this is his words, not mine. So, uh, <laughs> okay, that's it for jobs. Uh, Meta programming, since that was a topic this episode, I have some self-promotion, as I mentioned. Uh, my book will be coming out in the next three months. It has an entire chapter in Meta programming that's 100 pages long. So if you're interested in learning that through my book, please pre-order that. Uh, the pre-orders have reached, I think, 2,900. It's going to reach 3,000 soon. So please... Get, let's get that up to 3,000. And I have two metaprogramming talks that I'll link in the show notes. Both are mine, but uh, they're more recent. They were from last year. Basically, we walked through how to build the dev macros, which I was talking about earlier in the podcast. So if you're interested in that, you can check those out. Also want to pick Elixir's GitHub repo itself as a, another pick to just learn metaprogramming and learn how to program in Elixir. I read through Elixir's code in 2017 and I was just, it was so useful. I learned so much from that. If you, if you don't know where to start, uh, I, I call this meta meta. Start at Elixir. I think it's an SRC folder. Elixir underscore bootstrap.earl and Elixir underscore quote.earl are great places to start with and then go to kernel from there and like go down that path. Uh, you'll learn a lot. You'll not just learn about metaprogramming, you'll learn about the meta metaprogramming, the Erlang modules that enable Elixir to be bootstrapped. Yes, I also have, I also tried, uh, this is like a non-tech pick. I tried Field Roast's new vegan cheese, the new version of Chow and at my non-vegan friend who always hated all the cheeses finally loved it. So if you're looking for an awesome vegan cheese, check out Field Roast's new chow, the one with the triangle logo, not the square logo. But that's it for my picks. You, you didn't lie. Those those were a lot of picks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Robert, do you have any picks for us? Because I do. I, I, honestly, I, do have I, I don't have any this week. I was, I'm super swamped on other things at the moment, so nothing's fancy to pick. So, Robert, yeah, I've go got, ahead. I've got a couple. Um, Stage is all yours. Oh, thank you. So, uh, one thing that uh, that I'm a bit of tech that I'm really um, getting into is Nix and Nix OS. We, I was sort of introduced to it through. Yeah, as I say, the, the the kind of strong functional programming community in in uh, in Australia. There's a few there were a few people I knew that were you know really bullish on it, and I caught the bug. I do, still don't understand the Nix language, and it's very much copy pasta from people's code on the internet. 
but yeah, I use it on my Macs and I have several uh, NixOS VMs uh, and you know, that sort of thing. And I think that sort of uh, you know, uh, you know, repeatable, deterministic, declarative kind of packaging and uh, description of systems is um, is is the future. Maybe Nix is not necessarily it, but something in that along that vein. And yeah, it works surprisingly well with 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 Mac. You can you know, manage your uh, home directory and all your dot files with it, etc. So yeah, definitely if you're in into um, functional programming and and yeah, sort of declarative declaratively defining systems, yeah, uh, give Nix and Nix OS a look. And another tech pick is I'm sort of getting back into uh, Raspberry Pis and sort of home lab. Years and years ago, I used to build all my own uh, machines until I started using Macs and then sort of uh, ran, ran out of time. But getting back into you know, doing a lot more stuff at home, home lab. And one YouTube channel that I really enjoy watching is um, Jeff Geeling's YouTube channel. Uh, he talks a lot about different uh, aspects of the Raspberry Pi community. And it's just, yeah, very, and I really like his um, sort of wholesome kind of attitude to it. It's really, yeah, it's really, uh, really fun to, to watch. And um, he's got a new, a new channel with his uh, father, who's a, um, some kind of radio engineer. And th- yeah, that's really great uh, to watch as well. And I guess my final pick would be somewhat uh, self-serving. Uh, uh, as, uh, yeah, as was mentioned, the, the talk, my macro talk was um, given to, um, Elixir Australia, which is a sort of a meetup. It's a meta meetup. It's the combining Elixir Sydney and Elixir Melbourne to do online talks started because of the pandemic. And, um, but we've sort of um, continued to do online meetups and we have guests and speakers from all around the world. We've had people from Mexico, Brazil, United States, uh, India, Asia come along, give talks and attend. So yeah, feel free if you can make 6pm Australian Eastern time in your time, local time zone, please come along and, you know, feel free if you want to do a talk, we're another, another place that would be happy to, happy to have you. So yeah, uh, Elixir Australia. Nice. That sounds, that sounds pretty cool. Um, so I guess then it's time to say goodbye. What's a pleasure having you on the show, Robert. <laughs> it was great. Thank you very much. And for everybody else, I hope you took one or the other lesson with you and you tune in next time when we have another episode of Lexer Mix. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.